every gift you have, you have on loan from God. Everything He's given you is His gift. It's all by His grace. And one day, He's going to come back and hold each person accountable for how we've used His gift that He's given us. What is the real value of money? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Bible tells us to store up our treasures in heaven, not on earth. So why are we so enticed by worldly wealth? And how do we realign our relationship with money to God's standard? Here's David with a message called, The Perils of Being a Treasure Hunter. We are looking at this perils of being a treasure hunter, the dangers of money, what it can do to you. The first week we talked about how to avoid the snare to compare. If you chase after treasures, you will only have two things happen to you, and both of them are bad. You'll either be prideful, having more than other people, or secondly, you'll be envious and always have that hurt your heart. Uh, Second week, last week, we looked at the close the door to more idea that this incessant desire in our hearts to have more and more and more can kill our souls too. That's another danger and peril of being a treasure hunter. Today, I want to look at this idea of being complacent. Complacent. Comparing, coveting, and complacency being something that can kill our heart's desire for living life as God intended. But let's look at this third message about complacency and how it can kill our hearts. I want to look at a parable today from Luke the 19th chapter, verses 11 through 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know that they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Question mark. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. 
So before studying the parable, let's look at its context because I've tried to teach you whenever you read the Bible to take a text out of context as pretext. So let's look at the context of this parable. In in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, you had just had the experience of Jesus with Zacchaeus. Now, for those of you who went to Sunday school years ago, you remember the little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He was also a tax collector, and he would collect from Rome and give to them their taxes, but then he would always increase what was asked of the people so he could pocket illegally a bunch himself. But when he met Jesus... And he had a powerful encounter with Jesus and understood the gospel of grace and how much he was loved and forgiven. He restored to every person he cheated out of taxes four times over. So the parable that we just looked at is about money. It's in the context of money, of Zacchaeus restoring to those from whom he'd stolen money. Then you look at the next section of Scripture. It's about Jesus' triumphal entry. In fact, the parable begins. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. They heard the things about Zacchaeus. And so as he neared Jerusalem, he was entering for the last week of his life on earth. And the triumphal entry is when he went into Jerusalem and people proclaimed, Hosanna, save us, you are the Messiah. It was all about the kingdom of God beginning to be established on this earth. For again, within one week, Jesus would, be die, would die on the cross and be raised from the dead. So the context of this parable is about being saved, generously giving money away, and then using that money for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. That's the context of this parable, and it makes sense when you understand that context. So let's look at the parable itself. Let's divide it into three acts, like a three-act play. Here's the first act. The gift, verses 11 through 14. Jesus calls a group of people together before him. He's like a nobleman who went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. That's the whole issue of the incarnation, one of the most important Christian doctrines there is. It's what we celebrate during Christmas time period, that God in the Holy Spirit triangular relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a perfect love relationship together, sees the brokenness of humanity, our inability to love God because of our sin, our inability to love one another. God, the Father, asked the Son to put on human flesh, to come from a far country, to leave the splendor of heaven and enter the squalor of this earth for the purpose of saving us from our sins, to forgive us from our sins and reestablish that love relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and know that beauty of love that the triangular Holy Spirit, Father, and Son experience. And he comes and gathers together before him 10 of his servants. And he gave each one of them 10, gave them one mina, Amina is about three months' financial labor. And that's the gift that God gave to them through Jesus. It's the gift that he gives to each one of us. Those 10 people represent every human being who's ever lived. And the one mina given to them are the gifts that God gives to you and me. Every gift is different, it's very unique, but God has given one mina to every single one of us. And he tells these people, engage in business until I come. He says, use that mina to engage in business until I return again. So that takes us to the second act, which is the departure in verses 13 and 14. 
This nobleman, the master who'd given the mina to each one of the ten, goes away for a while. And that's the whole idea of Jesus' death and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, but his promised second coming. Jesus could not be clearer. As he came once in the incarnation to save us from our sins, he's coming a second time to hold us accountable for our sins, which leads us to the third act, the accountability, in verses 15 through 27. Uh, When he returned, having received the kingdom in his second coming, he has made now this earth the kingdom like he originally intended it when creation began. And when he returns, he holds every single one of the 10 people to whom he'd given Amina accountable for how they had used his Mina that he'd given to them. You do understand that every gift you have, you have on loan from God. Everything he's given you is his gift. It's all by his grace. And one day, he's going to come back and hold each person accountable for how we've used his gift that he's given us. The first one comes to him and says, here is your Mina and 10 more. Jesus responds, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over, interestingly, 10 cities. The implication is that for Jesus' people, when we get to heaven, if we have been faithful with what he's given us here and even expanded it and grown it, we're going to have authority over cities in eternity, that they're going to be dwelling places in eternity, that people who've been faithful here are going to oversee there. Second person comes to him and says, here's your mina and five more. The master does not give this person a commendation, but he does say to him, you will now be over five cities. So this guy will oversee five cities in all eternity because he's been faithful with the gifts that God has given him here on this side of eternity. Make no mistake about it. What we're doing here now affects our status in eternity. Not our salvation, I'll get to that in a moment, but our status and what we are called to do by God. Then a third one comes to him and lays one mina at his feet. And he says, I know that you are a severe taskmaster, And I was afraid of you. So I took this mina and I hid it in a handkerchief. Maybe he even buried it in the ground. But then he gives him the one mina that he had given to him. Interestingly, the man even says, you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. In other words, you're really unfair. You give us these gifts, but... They're really not yours. They're really ours. Then you ask us to be accountable for how we've used really our gifts. And and then the master says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. You're calling me an austere man, and yet you're not even willing to understand that what I give to you is by grace and You're then asking me to be responsible for how you've wrongly used my possessions that I've loaned you? The word severe here is austeros in the Greek. It's the word from which we get austere. It means exacting, harsh, and unfair. So one of the reasons this master was so angry with his servant was because he's slamming his character. 
And interpreting the parable from Jesus' perspective, this lazy guy is slamming the character of God. Who would want to worship a harsh, unkind, unfair, demanding God? Some of you have come from toxic Christian environments that have reduced the beautiful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ into nothing more than rules and regulations. God wants a relationship with you through Jesus. And this man had reduced the almighty God of the universe to a harsh taskmaster. Then, amazingly, at the end of the parable, the master instructs that the one who just took the one mina and didn't do anything with it, had to give up his mina and give it to the guy who had 10. And the people listening said, that's not fair. But it is a reality of life, folks. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's true with our physical bodies. If you don't exercise them, you lose it. It's true with our minds. If you don't read and study and grow deeper, you lose it. And here's the truth. The one who had one, who didn't do anything with it, who was lazy, had to give up his one and give it to the guy who had worked hard, which leads me to today's little phrase I want you to take home. Don't shirk hard work. Don't shirk hard work. Then Jesus ends this parable with that powerful verse 27, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, who are these enemies? Uh, If you go back to verse 14, there's this one interesting little verse, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. In Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin, which was the powerful overseer and purveyor of Jewish law located in Jerusalem, would constantly send out deputations to follow Jesus around. And these men listened intently to try to catch Jesus in something that was wrong or try to entrap him with a question they would ask him so that he would say something that was not right and so they could kill him. But the bottom line is they didn't want Jesus to reign over them. And Jesus says, those people who don't want me to reign over them, they are going to face a severe judgment. He came up with the words, I didn't. Now, for some of you right now, you may be deeply concerned, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to happen to me when I face God one day, when I face his judgment, and he holds me accountable for how I've used his mina that he's given me? Let me first of all give you the gospel of grace. For the answer to that question is found in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Yes, he left the comforts of heaven and entered the sinfulness and brokenness of this world. He lived the perfect life for 33 years. None of us can live because we have that sinful condition in our hearts. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and God bypassed the way sin is passed on in sexual conception. And he lived that perfect life and went to the cross and died on that cross, something he didn't deserve and took our sins upon himself, something he didn't deserve, then to give us eternal life by grace through faith, something we don't deserve. Now, you need to know that there aren't thousands of world's religions. There are basically two world's religions. You either have a relationship with God by what you do or what's been done for you. Two world's religions, do or done. Or you have a relationship with God by your works or by his grace. Every other world's religion, save one, 
as what we must do to earn the favor of God and hopefully get to heaven. Look at Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Zoroasterism, Hinduism, animism, all the other isms. And they're all about what we've got to do to earn God's favor, our works before a holy God. But here's the problem. God is perfect, and no matter how hard we work, we'll never be perfect. So how do we get to heaven? The only religion that does not teach works as a part of salvation is the Christian faith. Juxtaposed to all the other world's religions is the gospel of grace. That God died on that cross and did for us what we can't do for ourselves, eternal salvation. And then he gives it to us as a free gift by grace through faith. So if you're worried about that day of judgment that Jesus clearly teaches, when you get to heaven and God asks you, why should I let you into my eternity? I pray this will be your answer. It will be my answer. Because I cling to the cross of Christ. It's because I know what he did for me on that cross. And by grace through faith, I've been forgiven. And the Father in heaven will say, come on in. That's the truth. So if you're worried about that day of judgment, you receive Jesus today, and you know the gospel of grace, and you never have to worry about facing the Father in heaven. But let me also tell you that even though we are not saved by our works, please understand we are saved for good works. That is clear in the scripture that those of us who've been saved by the grace of Jesus are called to work hard for his glory. So one more time, we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about the value of serving others. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now 
This week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Jen. I hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you very much. You titled today's Davidism, Sow a Seed to Your Need. What do you mean by this? Well, uh, this is a biblical concept. Uh, in Galatians 6, 7, it says you do reap what you sow. Uh, that's an understanding that the Bible teaches continually. But I've had it understood in my own life in a deeper, richer way. It has to do with my wife, Marilyn. Uh, we went through years of infertility. Uh, we were told by several different doctors that most likely we would never have children. Uh, she had severe endometriosis, scarring on her tubes, and it just didn't look hopeful. We believed that God was going to give us a child. Indeed, we did eventually have three of our own. But during that eight-year time period when we had to wait upon the Lord, interestingly, Marilyn made a decision that in her infertility and the grief of thinking we'd never have children, she decided to go sow a seed to her need. She went and served in the Crisis Pregnancy Center to care for, counsel, and give hope to women caught in the quagmire of a problem pregnancy. Mm. What was so amazing was here was my wife in her healthy, prime, childbearing years wanting a baby, ministering to those who really didn't want babies, caring for them and trying to give them mm. hope. During that time period, she not only saved dozens of lives that were then born into this world, but she also had a congressman there who was struggling with the whole abortion issue who came and she presented to him all of the information about life in the womb, and he changed his whole perspective and became a voter for pro-life in Congress. Wow. Moreover, there was another doctor here in the area going through his internship. He went to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Marilyn presented to him the truth about children, and what happened was he became one of the major debaters for the whole reversal of Roe versus Wade in America Whoa. today as an OBGYN doctor. So what's so fascinating? was here was Marilyn in her great need, giving her life to women who didn't have problems with pregnancy. And in that time period, she saved multiple lives, but also influenced how our whole nation actually looks at abortion. She sowed a seed to her need. So wow. the message today to everybody is, what's your need in your life today? What is it you're looking for? Well, go find a way to give that need to somebody else through your life. Mm. Find a way to give your life away in that area. And when you do so, I think you'll find that the Lord is able to work supernaturally and more powerfully in your own life. For at the end of those eight years, several years in working in the Crisis Pregnancy Center, Marilyn supernaturally, miraculously was healed of the endometriosis and gave birth to our first child, Bethany Brame Chadwick. Wow. Wow, I am just awestruck at God's goodness and the multi-faceted way He works when we are just obedient and give ourselves away. This is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Well, thank you, Jen, and all of you who are listening today. Where are you hurting? Go serve someone else in that area of need and watch your miracle occur. 
That's the message I'm trying to give today. Sow a seed to your need. It somehow releases the supernatural power of God. I love it. Thank you so much, David. And listeners, if you would like to receive these daily e-blasts from my heart to yours, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They'll arrive every morning in your inbox at 7 a.m. It's my way in a simple, free way to help you begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. Have a great weekend.